0: Are you a sports fan who loves to have a good laugh. Oh, yeah! Then you're in the right place. I'm gonna make a man off again. Welcome to the Man Cave Chronicles. Has his Welcome to another episode of the Man Cave Chronicles podcast, a podcast of talk culture where everyone has a story. I am your host, Elias, and you can find me on Twitter at the MCC Podcast. My guest this week, you've seen her on Stranger Things, Timeless, Jennifer Marshall. Jennifer, welcome to The Game.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: Uh, What's going on with you?
1: Oh, gosh, it's been really busy. Um, Yeah, it's been crazy. So it was pretty slow for a few months. And then this week I booked uh, two TV shows. And so I'm booked up for the next 10 days. But uh, before that, before that, it was literally crickets. So you never know.
0: Yeah, that's the business, right?
1: Yeah, totally is.
0: So, you know, I want to tell the listeners the reason I reached out to you is like, you know, I think your story is great and your background is great. And um, I want the listeners to get to know to get to know you, the real you. So uh, where are you originally from?
1: (laughs) I am from Carbondale, Colorado. And at the time that I lived there, it had like 3000 people and one stoplight. And now I think it has three stoplights. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a really small town in the mountains.
0: Yeah, How was it growing up there?
1: You know, I moved there in high school and uh, it was, it's beautiful. But when you're in high school, you're not really focused on things that are beautiful. You want things to do. So yeah. it was beautiful really, really boring. So I know that a lot of people would go cow tipping on the weekends <laughs> <laughs> and there was a lot of underage drinking and a lot of partying in the forest. And I was just like, I have to get out of here. This is not, this is not my future. Yeah.
0: got to go. I, I mean, I read online that you were busy also. You're playing basketball and cheerleader and was it a drama I- team? Is that what it was?
1: Yeah, I was. I was super, super busy. I um, I really didn't want to get wrapped up in anything that could possibly derail my future. So anything that there was at the high school, I did it. I played basketball. I was a cheerleader for the football team. I was in speech and drama. I did musical theater. Um, I was part of Health Occupation Students of America. I was the vice president for uh, Colorado, actually, when I was a senior. Wow. So I was very, very active in anything to just stay out of trouble. <laughs> yeah.
0: Did you sleep at all? Jeez.
1: I slept very, very little. Oh, I, I actually worked as a nursing assistant as well. Wow. And um, so I. I was just a work a workhorse and I've been that way my whole life and I think that it keeps me sane yeah
0: so after high school you joined the Navy what made you decide to join the the Navy
1: you know I always knew that I was going to go into some branch of the military it was something that I come from a family full of veterans and you know, generations and generations full of veterans. So I knew that I was going to join some branch and the Navy recruiter got to me first. So it was literally whatever recruiter called me first. He called me first. I went down and enlisted and I left five weeks after graduation. Wow.
0: So uh, how was your time in the Navy?
1: Oh my gosh, it was wonderful. It was so, so wonderful. Um, I'm actually in the process. You're the first first person publicly that i've told but i'm actually in the process of trying to go back into the navy reserves
0: Really?
1: so yes um i have missed it so dearly and i finally got to a point where i'm kind of aging out and i thought i really have to do this now or never um i have just missed it so dearly and it shaped who i am and i just thought why why not why not do it so i'm in the process right now of of trying to do that we'll see how it turns out
0: How was uh, how was boot camp when you went to boot camp?
1: You know, I was a student athlete, so boot camp was not physically difficult for me. What was really really hard for me was um you know the the I'm trying to think of a a way to put this. Um it was difficult being with some of the other women because there's such a stigma already of females in the military. And so we have to work harder than men just to be accepted. And so for the, there were some females that, um, you know, it was difficult for them because they were smaller. I'm just genetically blessed and biologically blessed because I'm a very large female. So for some of the smaller females who are five feet, five feet, one inches, that's really difficult. So it was very, very hard for me to, um, to, to work with some of these females and, and work with the males and try to explain to them that, yes, even though biologically there may be a difference in muscle mass and what they can bring to the table that way, there's other things that females bring to the table that males don't necessarily bring. So that was always hard dealing with gender in the military. Um, that That's always a difficult issue. And I think in the last, you know, 15, 20 years, things have changed a lot for the better. Yeah.
0: When I did my research on you, I I noticed that, you know, you worked, you know, you worked your butt off, you know, you, you know, you're an aircraft handler, forklift operator. You did repairs also. I did. I
1: did everything that anything that they said, Hey, we've got this school that you can go to. We've got the certification, this training. I've always been that way as far as, you know, if I can work 24 seven, I don't have to think about anything else. Yeah. So I was an aircraft handler when I first came in. I was undesignated, which is basically you don't have a job. I had wanted to be a corpsman, but um, at the time they had too many females who were in those slots. So they said you can go in undesignated and when a position opens up, you can take one. That's unfortunately not how it worked out. So I was sent to my first command undesignated. And so I was placed at an air, at an air terminal where I worked as an aircraft handler. That's where I got my forklift license. I. Soon moved into logistics, and then when I went to the aviation side of logistics, and then when I went to my first ship, the USS Theodore Roosevelt, I worked in aviation logistics there, and I also worked on the ship security defense force, and then on the repair locker fire team. Wow. And I was wow. one of the only females in um, on the defense force, and also on the on the fire team because they're very physically demanding jobs, and there just weren't a lot of women in those positions then.
0: Do you have a favorite moment in your five years in the Navy? I do.
1: Um, So I had applied for the United States Naval Academy in 2000. I had never thought about going to college. It was something that was not in the cards for me. I never even thought I would graduate from college. I I never thought I'd graduate from high school, let alone college. So after about 18 months in the Navy, I was junior sailor of the quarter um, and I had decided to apply for the Naval Academy. I had taken my ACT, and I realized that my test scores were too low to get into the Naval Academy. At the time, it was the eighth hardest college in the nation to get into. And I realized my scores were just too low. Everyone who graduates from the Naval Academy graduates with a Bachelor of Science degree, and I knew that I couldn't pass the physics, the chemistry, the trigonometry classes that were required. So I I applied, and I kind of abandoned that. and. What happened several months later was I found out that I was granted entrance to the Naval Academy. So, I I had found this out and I, I had no idea. Um, they had offered me a spot at the preparatory school because my scores were low, but they were lower than what an average high school student would have. And so I remember standing in the forecastle, which is a a part of the ship where they do award ceremonies, and I remember. Receiving my acceptance to the United States Naval Academy Preparatory School, and I remember just thinking, "There's no way that this could happen to me. Like, how is this? How is this possible? I barely got out of high school, and this is happening to me." Mm-hmm. And I ended up not going to the Naval Academy for other reasons, but um, just to be accepted was in- incredible.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you worked for something hard in your life, you know, you, you deserve it. You know.
1: Yeah, and and I, you know, I thought that the the effort was there and the the work ethic was there but scores wise i i just didn't have them and i later found out that i had a master chief who was at the naval academy at that time who was a female and she had she had just advocated for me mercilessly in front of the board and said i understand her math scores are lower than what we require out of our high school students but this woman is junior sailor of the quarter and she's she's done all of these things at her command and she's already proven herself in the navy And you're telling me that she's not granted entrance because of her math scores, that she can improve. But yet you're willing to allow all of these high school students who have not proved themselves admission. And so she really advocated strongly for me. And I I felt bad when things worked out that I didn't attend because I felt like I let her down. But life has a a funny way of kind of throwing curveballs at you that direct you in another direction.
0: So after you finished the Navy, uh, did you go to college?
1: I did. I left the Navy and I... I graduated from Virginia Wesleyan University. I have a double bachelor's in international studies and Spanish, with a minor in history. And then I finished my master's at American Military University, with administration in administration of justice.
0: Yeah. So, from there, how did you uh, like wake up one day? You know, I want to go into acting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was not a thing. Everybody, everybody I talked to says I wanted to be an actor from the time I was young. That yeah. was never a thing with me. It was something other people did. I actually got into it when I was attending community college after I got out of the the Navy. I was in a musical theater group on bass and we were just, you know, doing some local community theater. And I saw a guy who was in my group and he was on TV and I asked him, Hey, how'd you get on TV? And he said, I take classes at this local place. And so I started taking classes at the acting studio and my first audition was two weeks into my classes, wow. and I booked that audition. And so ever since then, I've just been very, very fortunate to have been been booking since then.
0: Yeah. Did you? Uh, what was your first uh, thing that you got?
1: The first thing that I got was a thesis film at Regent University, and it was a, a filmmaker who was in the master's program. And he actually, I believe he got... I don't want to say kicked out from... Regent University as a very Christian school. So I believe he was asked to leave because he did his thesis film on demonic possession, which is something that, you know, we all watch horror movies, but in a Christian school, that's not really something that they appreciate. So I I do believe that they probably asked him to leave, to pick another subject or to leave. Um, But that's not easy, playing somebody who has issues with um, believing she's possessed. So it was definitely... It was definitely a very strenuous shoot, and I'm I'm happy that I did it, but I don't know what happened. I don't believe that he finished the program because it was a difference of opinion between him and the faculty.
0: So you did some commercials as well, right?
1: I did. I did a ton of commercials. When I, when I was in, still in Virginia, I did a ton of commercials, and I've done some since I've been in Los Angeles too. And it got to the point when I was in Norfolk where I had done – I think at the time I had done four, I had four commercials airing. I had shot all of the television shows that were there and, and I had done so many training films at this one particular studio that they said, you know, we can't use Jennifer anymore because we used her in a lot of training films. So I'd kind of saturated that very, very small market. And I told my husband, I said, I know that you don't like Los Angeles, but I don't have a career here. I don't have anything else to do. It's a non-union market. I'm never going to be a working actor just being non-union. And I've been here this whole time for you. And you really need to think about moving. And he said, it's expensive there and the traffic and it's horrible. And, and I said, you know, I'm going to go with you or without you. And that was very much a bluff, (laughs) very much a bluff, but thankfully he bought the bluff. And so we moved and I've been here since uh, 2011 I took about a year and a half respite um, for other things but I started back up acting in 2013 and I've been in Los Angeles wow. hitting it pretty hard since
0: 2013 yeah. so like I mentioned in the, earlier in the episode that I uh, you know listeners probably know you from Stranger Things season two as Susan Hargrove Max's mom how did you get the opportunity to audition for something like that
1: well I have an agent in Atlanta and I fly very frequently to Atlanta. I work pretty frequently in Atlanta. And the girl who plays um, my daughter, Sadie Sink, she's amazing and wonderful and extremely talented. She's, you know, redheaded. She's very clearly redheaded. So when they were looking for the mother, they were looking for someone that matched her very closely. So I was a fan of her work when she did a show called American Odyssey. I remember watching the show and watching Sadie and thinking, what a talented young actress so when the casting notice came out it said we're looking for someone to play her mother and I thought gosh I knew off the bat if I have a decent audition I have a very good shot at this role because we look very similar and I remember pulling up a picture of her and putting it side by side and my husband looked at it and and he just laughed because the similarity it's very strong. And so my husband and I went through the scene a few times because we. I have a self-tape studio at home that I do a lot of my audition tapes from, and my poor husband had to. It was the the scene that I auditioned with was the scene where Billy and Neil are fighting. Okay. And so my husband is literally trying to be Billy and Neil and run the camera, and you know make like the slapping sound when Neil pushes Billy into the shelf, and he's trying to yell as Neil, and he's literally like a circus behind the camera. It was incredibly funny in retrospect. And I shot the audition and I sent it off and I got a notification back that I was pinned. So basically, whatever actors they think it's possible may book this role, they will pin you. So they will say, please don't book anything else. Don't book a vacation. Don't go anywhere during this time period. And we will tell you if you're booked as soon as we know. So as soon as they get clearance from Sean Levy and the Duffer Brothers, they'll say, yes, we want to book you or no, you're released. So I got notification within a week, I'd say, that I was booked. And uh, shortly after that, I went out to Atlanta to film.
0: Wow. um, Were you a fan of Stranger Things? Oh, my gosh.
1: This is what happened. Um, I remember that summer, the first summer it came out. I opened up Facebook and it was all over Facebook. And I didn't know what this was, but everybody had said, Watching Stranger Things, watching Stranger Things. And I, I told my husband, I said, What is this? Because we really didn't want to get sucked into any other programming. Um, it's just t- TV is such a time suck. And we have so many things going on. We have kids. I was in school, all this stuff. And everybody was talking about it. And I didn't want to be that actor who really didn't know. And then somebody had said, It's set in the 80s. And I said, Okay, I'm sold. So we binged it over probably three days. I fell in love with it. It was so great, the storytelling and the nostalgia. And I grew up during the 80s, so I just loved it. And so when I got the opportunity to audition, it was really exciting. I mean, I auditioned for probably two or three things a week, um, but this was definitely an audition that stood out. And I did not realize at the time how important Max's character was. I just thought maybe she was like a periphery character. I didn't realize she was... A new series regular on the show. So, um, and I didn't realize how I didn't like, I knew that I had booked stranger things. I knew that I had shot stranger things, but I didn't realize the gravity of it until a few days after the season premiered. And then all of the feedback I got, it was like, wow, it was surreal. It was like, wow, I'm on stranger things. How does that happen?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's how it was with my wife too. We you know, people were talking about it. And then I saw the, you know, the, little tease trailer for it. And it's like, it takes place in the eighties. And I'm just like, you I grew up in the eighties and I'm like, Oh, I got to watch this.
1: <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. It's just, a, it's just a great, um, just like wait, great way to reminisce. Yeah.
0: Um, so tell us a little bit about your character and how did you prepare for it?
1: Well, Susan is so unlike Jennifer and it's funny because I end up booking a good amount of characters that are similar to Susan. So Wallflowers or you know kind of weak will don't want to speak up abused by their husbands um, Which I find a little bit strange because I, I am so tall. I'm almost six feet tall and you know, I'm pretty I'm pretty bold in real life and I'm a pretty strong woman So to book these characters, it's always surprising to me when I book them but I think with Susan and and like other characters like her that I book I always have to write an end story to them. Otherwise, it's very hard and unpalatable for me to play women like that. It's very hard for me to play a woman who is subservient to her husband or a woman that allows her husband to treat the children like that. So I always have to write an end story. And I don't know Susan's end story, only, you know, Matt and Ross and Sean know her end story. But I have to write that. And so when I get this character, I write all of the adjectives that I associate with this character and I write a backstory and I wrote how she met Neil and, you know, what she thought of Billy and how she met Max's father and what happened. And all of these things aren't even necessarily what Matt and Ross, how they have developed the character, but it's just what I needed to do to audition. So I did it before I auditioned and then I added to the character before I went and shot. And so basically anything I would want to know about Jennifer, I put on this piece of paper about Susan. So I think I probably have five or six pieces of paper with no white space left on them, all about Susan. And who knows how much of it is actually true. If I were to show it to Matt and Ross, they'd
0: probably be like, Whoa, you're way off. (laughs) (laughs) How was it working with the cast?
1: Oh, it was great. It was so good. It was by far the best set I've ever been on. Um, there are two sets two sets in recent memory where I've just been blown away, and this was one of them. And I've been on hundreds of sets in my career, and there's just something so wonderful. And I especially love shooting in the South because it's much different than shooting in Los Angeles. It's a little bit slower paced. It's a lot more polite. <laughs> and I just really like shooting in the South. I miss the South after living in Virginia for so long. I loved shooting on that set and I loved working with Matt and Ross because some directors are very hands-off. They're very hands-on. They come and talk to the talent. They tell us exactly what they're thinking. They asked for your input. They tell us exactly what they need. And I work with some directors. They're hands-off. They don't talk to the talent. They don't tell you what they need. They don't tell you what they're thinking. They just say, do your thing. I much prefer how Matt and Ross are. I much prefer to talk to the directors and have collaborative filmmaking. And so for me, it was a dream come true.
0: Do you, um, do you have like fans recognizing you after being on stranger things?
1: It's funny because what most people recognize me for is I used to be a spokesperson for a mortgage company called new day USA that specializes in veteran mortgages. And so that particular commercial aired on Fox, MSNBC and CNN about 10 to 15 times a day. So people would recognize me from that or people would recognize me from my advocacy work with the nonprofit pinups for vets um, where we dress up as World War II era pinup girls and visit veterans in hospitals and nursing homes and wounded warrior detachments. People would mainly recognize me from there. I look so different from Susan in real life that I don't get a lot of that, but it has happened occasionally. I was actually on set in Canada and catering walked up to me and he said, this is such a weird question. And I'm sorry if this is, this is creeper, but are you on stranger things? <laughs> and I think it, I think it was just because he had just finished watching that episode or something. And I just laughed and I said, yeah, yes. And he said, do you want to take a picture? And I said, yes, of course. Now, most of the people who recognize me are people who like when I'm out with Gina, who um, is the founder of PenUps for Vets. It's funny because she'll tell people she's on Stranger Things um, because she knows it makes people happy and it makes me so happy to make people happy because they wanna take a picture or they want me to like call their friend who's a huge fan or no. call their child. And I love doing that. If I can make a video for their child or call someone or take a photo, that for me just makes my day to make someone happy. That,
0: that's great. Well, um, I, I mentioned before you were on Timeless I think that show is fantastic and it's too bad. You know, it keeps getting canceled and it comes back and it got canceled again and now they're going to do like a two part thing. How was it being on that show?
1: So timeless was wonderful. I was so excited to hear that we get the season, the series finale. Oh, I was so happy. So I had not watched timeless and I was, I was completing my second son's adoption. So I was I was out I was out of Los Angeles and so I received the audition notice to tape for Timeless. So I taped the audition, I sent it, um, and then I had ended up getting cast. I went and filmed, and then after I filmed, I started watching the show. Thank goodness it happened in that order because I became such a fangirl. Yeah. And I would never want to be on a set and be a fangirl because it's just not it's not professional, but I became literally such a fangirl. I love timeless. I watched every episode. Unfortunately, um, a lot of my footage got cut from the episode, which is fine. I never take that personally as an actor because sometimes it's storyline related. It's editor. You never know. And when we were filming the way that's, that my lines were, I knew that it wasn't conducive to making the final edit, which was fine because I just loved working on the show and I love Abigail Spencer's amazing and I loved working with Guy Ferland everything was great and everyone was wonderful but to work on such a show that has such an impact because the show's based in history and kids love it it's a show you can watch with your kids it's a show that teachers loved and even though it only lasted for two seasons it's a show that really had cultural significance and I was so blessed to be a part of it
0: it was it's actually like an addicting show once you start watching well, it
1: Yes, I loved it so much.
0: Um, Who are like some of your influences in the acting world?
1: You know, um, it's funny. I'm going to give you an answer that other people probably don't give. Because I understand it's the chic thing as an actor to say Meryl Streep and Bobby De Niro. And although I look at actors like that, like Meryl Streep is amazing. You know, I could never even imagine to be a tenth of her talent. A lot of the actors that I look up to are other veterans who entered this business and have done really well for themselves. Uh, There's an actor named Tucker Smallwood who I love dearly, and he's a dear friend of mine. He was in contact with Jodie Foster. He's been in so many things. If you look him up on IMDb, you'll see his face and say, oh my gosh, yes, of course, Tucker. He's been in so many things. And Tucker was um, in Vietnam and he was very badly injured in Vietnam, and when he came back, he went into acting, and he's done so well for himself, and he has spoken out publicly about post-traumatic stress and about veterans getting help, and he's really been an advocate for those veterans. So to me, to be a veteran and be an actor and continue to give back to that community, I have so much respect for that. So Tucker, another person who I look up to dearly is John Huertas, who plays Miguel on This Is Us. John was in the Air Force. Um, I actually won a mentorship with John probably about four years ago, and I went to Castle. Um, he was on set. He was a series rag on Castle. And I went for a day, and we talked about career plans and what I should be doing and where I should be going. And he took a few hours of his day uh, and devoted it to me to help another veteran get ahead and those are the people that i look up to are vets in the community who are now successful in what they're doing and acting and they give back to their vets um
0: do you have any upcoming projects that you want to tell the listeners about i do so
1: i have a four-part series and i'm in the fourth movie and it's called texas zombie wars and it's very walking dead ish and that will be coming out on netflix very soon Um, I also have, oh gosh, I wish I could tell you about the latest thing I just booked, Oh, but I can't. (laughs) Um, So I just booked something really great that'll be coming out next year. I have a video game that's coming out next year uh, that's called Squadron 42, and it's part of the Star Citizen universe. It's been in development for like three years now, so I know a lot of people have been waiting on that. I'm. I have a small part in a movie with Kumail Nanjiani coming out next year called Stuber, and I have a small part in A Dog's Way Home that's coming out next year, which is a sequel to A Dog's Purpose. So, a lot of things coming down the pipeline.
0: So you're keeping busy. There's nothing wrong with that.
1: Yeah, I'm keeping busy, but you know, it was literally crickets for months, and now it's starting to speed up again. So you never.
0: It's. It's almost. It's like that in the podcast world too. You know, when I reach out for people to get on, you know, sometimes you go through this little slow phase where you know people just have projects going on and they can't come on. And there's all of a sudden you're trying to schedule everybody all in at once. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, with, with I'm the, sure. With, people
1: with, are on vacation with,
0: with a full-time job and kids and a wife too.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, how can the listeners find you on social media?
1: Okay. So I love to talk to people on social media. I know some people, they just put pictures up and they never talk to people. I feel like that's so lame. It's social for a reason. So definitely, let's talk on social media. Uh, Instagram, Jen13, gen 13, Jen 13 that's J-E-N-N-1-3, J-E-N-N-1-3. Facebook is facebook.com backslash actress Jennifer Marshall. I do a lot of Facebook Lives on there. And then you can check out my website, jennifermarshall.com. It's got a lot of information about um, some nonprofits that I support and the charity work that I do.
0: Uh, I wanna personally thank you for coming on, this was a blast.
1: Thank you, Elias, thank I you so you much. You.